Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, it's interview time again as movement guru Aaron Alexander joins Bellelli for an extensive conversation, including why so many people move so little, helping folks organize their joints, the ability to listen is becoming a superpower, four-second hangs, hip hinges, and a story that begins with when my dad first started smoking crack. You gotta hear that, right? And now... Asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle figure of the gods, Daniele Volelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows Podcast, begins now. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 125 of the Drunken Taoist podcast. Today we are going to have an interview with Aaron Alexander. He has some, he does some really great work with the body, with, well, you know what, I'll shut up and just, I'll let you listen, you'll find out. He's a cool guy, good interview, fun times. Uh, before we get going, quick shout out to our sponsor, um, if you are doing some last-minute holiday shopping and you want some of the greatest hemp gear on the planet, check out dsgear.com. That's Susanna, man. I mention them all the time, but I really love their bags. They are great. I use them all the time, so check them out. Also, onnit.com, O-N-N-I-T. Um, the range of products is beyond my notoriously verbose ability to convey stuff. There's just so much good stuff from supplements to workout gear to all sorts of other things. Check them out. And if you look in the episode notes, there's a direct link to go to Onnit where you can get an automatic discount. I think it's automatic. Or there may be a, a code in the episode notes. can't remember. Either way. And then, last but not least, short design t-shirts with the coolest t-shirts on the planet. Soft, beautiful, you name it. Speaking of t-shirts, there's, uh, of course, our own version of the short design t-shirts. You can all check them out. The four different t-shirts that we have done for the Drunken Taoist podcast with four different designs. What else, what else, what else? Um, nothing, man. That just got going. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to Mr. Aaron Alexander. Aaron, welcome to the Drunken Taoist. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Appreciate it. Um, 
let's chat a little bit just to as a starting point just so we can get the ball rolling let's tell the good folks listening right now some of the stuff that you do yeah in life the <laughs> tell general all life. about general life things yes life the universe everything yeah so in relevance to a conversation with you here the the life things kind of like a, a hybrid of physical therapy and manual therapy or hands-on mm-hmm. therapy you know so rolfing structural mm-hmm. integration is a term that people might be familiar with um, but helping people with organizing their joints organizing their connective tissue and then the big thing the bigger conversation is getting to a point where your movement becomes therapeutic mm-hmm. and then figure out what the hell that means my movement becomes therapeutic okay you know so we just went through some things with with uh, savannah breaking down of like okay every time we're running maybe this knee is kind of dumping in a little bit maybe my glutes aren't quite engaging enough you know that line of drive Mm -hmm. could be a little bit sharper or cleaner you know so it's kind of a coaching people through the process of sharpening up their lines you could say well which is interesting because not only well modern life itself seemed to be not the friendliest toward our bodies in the sense that you know yeah. the way we spend uh, every other minute of the day sitting in a chair probably slumping crunch over a computer get into a car crunched again you know there's so i don't think there's ever been a time in human history where that decent kind of numbers of people move so little mm-hmm. ever right yeah. like if you look at the whole arc of human history save uh unless you had some crazy injury or unless you were like this super weird privileged person who somehow even that's odd the fact that you were super privileged and so you end up having a lifestyle that's really bad for your body but regardless you know most humans throughout all of history have been moving a lot we as a culture today western world but not just western we don't we sit a lot we you know Forget LA where nobody walks, but, you know, just the amount of movement that we do in a day is literally less than has ever happened in the history of humanity so far. Yeah. So that got to have an impact on uh, people's body, on people's psyche, on everything else. Yeah. I like to change the conversation because the every podcast movement health whatever related podcast be you know sedentary lifestyle is us. you know yes i agree and some people are like okay well that almost makes me feel worse because i work in this office job sure (laughs) you know and i right now maybe in six months i'll be able to kind of wean myself Mm -hmm. away and you know be an entrepreneur whatever you want to do no but that you're right the reality is most people cannot not now and not ever probably so what does that mean in terms of what can you still do other than shoot yourself yeah (laughs) right yeah you know and so it's figuring out okay what's the quality of my set Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I got a standing desk, so I'm good. No, bullshit. You got a standing desk. Now you're probably just carrying those same or similar dysfunctional patterns into your stand. Right. You're still collapsing. It's your, you know, your right hip collapses down and yeah. your spine's twisted up and your breath is still going through your mouth and up into your chest. And, you know, you're, it's like, okay, standing's not enough. Right. <laughs> right. 
You know, so figuring out, okay, how can we start to bring a little bit more awareness into our momentary physical practice? Mm -hmm. You know, and then it can start to become kind of like a game. You know, so as I'm sitting down, if someone comes up behind me or you right now, ideally a little test you could have, have a buddy come up behind you and just have them push down in your shoulders a little bit, right? And start pushing down, pushing down. If you can feel that line of drive, right, from their hands mm -hmm. going down into what are called your sit bones, right? The bony things yeah. out your butt cheeks, ischial tuberosities, <laughs> right? If you can feel that boom, straight into that and it almost feels like you can grow up into their hands, you're in a great position. Right. You're in a solid sitting position. You're actually, you know, almost getting stronger. You could say you're practicing getting stronger in your body. So in that sense, it's not that your lifestyle needs to change dramatically because I mean, yeah, it would be nice if, but the reality is that most people can't, yeah. is what can you do within the existing yeah. lifestyle to change it from an extremely unhealthy one totally. to one that's not. Quality over quantity. Well, let me ask you something though on that. How much... Because clearly that requires, you are talking with Savannah earlier before we started recording, you were talking about body intelligence mm -hmm. and that seemed to require a monstrous amount of body intelligence and awareness because yeah. the reality is that most of us are to one degree or another disconnected from our bodies where it's hard to even... Like most people don't have that kind of sensitivity. That's why when you say, you know, get a standing desk, that's easy, right? It's yeah. like, okay, you do that. I'll do that and I'll be okay. Well, what you're saying is like, no, it's not that simple. Is You need to develop a degree of awareness that allow you to feel your posture, your breathing, your how everything impacts everybody, everything else in that way. Yeah. That seemed like a full-time job in itself. <laughs> in uh, hours, like working with people, for, because I'm sure you run into lots of people who are not necessarily from the get-go the most in tune with their bodies. Yeah. How do you do it without it turning it into a 24-7 job where they can think of anything else? How do you get the results? Yeah, uh, just so basic fundamentals, those spill into the way that you pour your cup of coffee or mm -hmm. the way that you get in and out of your car, you know, anything that you're doing. Right. It's not that you need to learn, okay, what was that thing in the podcast about how I got to do my hip as I get in the car? And then it's like, that would be insane. Yeah. Right. But if you can educate someone on just the value of say something really simple, like a hip hinge, mm -hmm. right. From there, all of a sudden that translates up into elite weightlifting sure right the you know the lifter's wedge like having that your booty goes back yeah. behind you right right so teaching people about that just starting from a baseline of like how's your squat yeah you know so you can get a youtube video you know i got them they're all right. over the place find anybody's youtube video i'm not anybody's but there's a lot of good ones just figuring out okay how do i start to just get a good hip hinge yeah where do i put my feet underneath my body so that I'm actually able to create that stack, mm -hmm. you know, so that if I do have weight on my shoulders, it can go down all the way into my feet. Right. Right. And now from there, okay, we, so we slowed things down, simplified it so much, mm -hmm. you know, from there, okay, now that starts to relate into as I lean over to pick up my kid, right. I kind of hinge my hips back, you know, maybe that turns into a lunge, you know, but a similar baseline process is happening. And then eventually the long-term vision for people is to get out of that mechanical mold and eventually be, have those fundamentals so well ingrained mm -hmm. that you can dance. 
<laughs> you know, and the right, dance could be a metaphor, right, you know, but your life becomes kind of like, ah, oh, you know, and there's certain people when you see, you know, these old yogis or these old masters yeah. or it's like, oh man, they're out in the park just kind of going through these motions of kind of like elongation, you know, and you're like, it doesn't look like much, right? But what they're doing is they're creating space. They're kind yeah. of going through and like giving themselves a massage therapy session, mm-hmm. you know, and it, but the way that you get to that point is through practice right you know and we're we're a we've come from such a place of imbalance mm-hmm. that we need to, to work to get back into balance oh, totally. Totally. <laughs> like they're there it's like well how people how do it's like you gotta work right <laughs> you know? no totally. and i guess what for people who are wondering what does that work look like yeah because, I mean, you're talking about at the level when you are getting it, and so how then you apply it to everyday life. Yeah. How do you get to the point where you do get it? Yeah. Where it does become something that you can... Change your environment, mm-hmm. right? So I just changed up the chair, one, because it was creaky, right. um, but also I wanted to be taller, mm-hmm. right? So when you're sitting on a chair, you mm-hmm. want your, your thigh bones, your femurs to kind of be on an incline down. So if I put a ball on, a ball, a ball on my thigh, it would r- roll down roll to my down, knee. Right. right. What that does is it puts you in a mechanical advantage for you to be naturally inclined to sit on the front edge of your sit bones. Mm-hmm. Right. So now, okay, how do I change this? Well, it's, you have a, a broken chair. Get a different chair. Right. Right. You know, it's like, okay, cool. I got a different chair. I changed my environment subtly. Now all of a sudden I'm starting to ingrain a new pattern into my body. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Hmm. That was cool. I changed up a little bit. I put a pull-up bar in between my, my doorway. Now, every time I walk through that doorway, I decompress my shoulders. I get a little hang. I move some of that blood. I open up the pleura of my, Mm -hmm. you know, my lungs. I open up my heart. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, interesting. And then there's various different studies in relation to that upright open position mm-hmm. end up actually increasing things like like uh, testosterone, mm-hmm. right? Decreasing stress hormones by right. being in this folded over position, right? Right. Not only does it change the tone of your voice, right, but it also changes the general your physiology, your sure. hormonal function, right? Right. So okay, cool. So there's two little things. Get something to hang off of. Every time I walk through that hallway, yeah. I do a four second hang. Right. No big deal. Yeah. I just feel a little better. It's mm-hmm. like I'm taking a little a little yeah. little drug every time. And I change my chair. You know, okay, cool, that's a start. That was sure. fun. Right. What else could I do? Yeah. You know? And I guess that's where also the what else can I do beside the change in your environment aspect? That's where a lot of the work that you actually do teach people come in, yeah, right? In terms yeah. of focusing on specific patterns of movement yeah. that help kind of educate your body to assume in certain posture and positions as a default mode, as yeah. opposed to I have to think about I need to be at that 73% angle yeah. kind of thing. So sitting on your chair, mm-hmm. right? That's a squat mm-hmm. or that's a deadlift. Right. Right. Or that's, you know, we were talking about takedowns. Like it's like mm-hmm. you want to keep that spine nice and long yeah. so you don't get guillotined and choked out. Right. So as you're coming down into sitting, mm-hmm. you don't want to let your head hanging forward and crunch your spine forward because there's like a metaphoric guillotine sure. there waiting. Yeah. Right. So if you can start to spill, when you get into the point of working with high level athletes, especially, mm-hmm. but I like to consider all of us, I'm a high level athlete. Mm-hmm. I'm not that good at anything. <laughs> right? Right. You know, you're a high level athlete. Like it's for it's, it's, we're in competition with ourselves. Sure. 
Right? You know, so like I'm a high level athlete in the sense that I want this body to move well mm-hmm. when I'm a hundred years old. Of course. And then just die. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I want to this I want to cultivate, right. cultivate, 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 die. Right. <laughs> <laughs> None of that. This is low decline of just yeah, that doesn't sound but good. that's a cultural belief. Right. Right? Yeah. You know, so, so aging and all that, mm-hmm. the, the feeling of like, okay, now I'm, I, I've come into this, I'm 65. You know, most of the people in the cultural norm in my reality, it's like they fold over. Totally. Right? Now, being a part of a tribe, which is stuff that you get into quite mm-hmm. a bit, it's beautiful, that's really important for your survival. Sure. Right? So if you're a person that all of a sudden it's like, I want to move a little bit more powerfully in my body, mm-hmm. right? As I walk, I want to kind of feel connection down to my feet. If you're in a room of a hundred people that are so disassociated from their bodies, yeah, yeah, it's, all of a sudden it puts you in a, like an outcast position. Completely. There's default mode where you see yeah. to the lowest common denominator yeah. that way. So it's just witnessing. It's like, oh man, I'm in a mold mm-hmm. right now. Totally. You know, and so it's, again, that gets into, okay, I'm in a mold, this body, my connective tissue, my psychology, my emotional, you know, all my existential views, that's kind of been imprinted upon me. I'm, I'm pulling on two sides of the same rope. And that's very interesting, the effect that other people have on us that way, and that vice versa, we have on other people as well. Because, like, I remember, for example, when we recorded for your podcast at your place in Venice, yeah. uh, just seeing how without literally paying attention because you're not consciously stepping away from what's happening there in the conversation to pay attention to something. It's just kind of like the way your body moves throughout the day and the way you sit, the way it put me while we're having a conversation, it put me in a different state of awareness of it all where suddenly I'm like, Oh, I am slumping. Oh, look at that. He's not. Uh, There's, Oh, there is a, uh, we're chatting, but he's stretching at the same time. Yeah. Well, that actually feels good. I, I want to do okay. that too. You know, it's kind of like there is that monkey see, monkey do aspect of things where if you are around an environment where that's completely foreign, of course, it's a lot harder. Yeah. And it's up to you to have to start that game and hopefully then influence somebody else in the process. Yeah. Uh, if you are in an environment where that's more normal to begin with and you have models to look up to then boom it's easier to pick it up yeah but you know if it's not tough luck those are the cards you got you still need to figure out how to make it happen and maybe you then become the person who helps somebody else make that shift you become it's like it it may be a stretch but i really don't think it is but it's it's like taking on the role of being a revolutionary yeah i mean it's like anything else right it's like anytime you change an existing status quo whether it means because you of your movement of how you relate to your body whether it means because just being kinder like the default mode you know like in so many dynamics individually many people can be pleasant but they can be really unpleasant when they are in a group with one another because the dynamics is this put down these jokes that are always about putting one another down or there's this that kind of dynamic right yeah if you are the one who's strong as a person, so you command a certain degree of respect, but you choose to be really kind and not indulge in that, yeah. suddenly other people will feel like, hey, he's a strong human being and he doesn't feel the need to be this in this put down, more negative kind of vibe. Yeah. Hey, look, maybe there's something okay about being kind. Maybe, you know, I had it literally where I remember things where this was funny. A friend of mine who became a friend of mine eventually, who, um, 
guy came straight from the ghetto, you know, South Central, ghetto of LA, dead people on this block every other month kind of thing. Mm. And so he comes from a reality where it's a tough reality, right? Where there's not a lot of room for soft, fuzzy feelings. It's just very intense. And some of the stuff that I was talking about on a more philosophical level, he clearly dug it, but that's such a foreign thing for him because he's like, yeah, that's some gay ass intellectual <laughs> shit. You know what is this? It's like, yeah, and it's like, but I mean, but I'm liking it. There's something there. It's like, oh my god, you know, there was an internal struggle there between. It's like I do see the value of some of this stuff, right. but where I come from, that just weak bullshit. So yeah. how do I relate to that? And the solution for him was that training martial arts with me then gave him the key mm. because he was like oh, you can kick my ass and you choose to have this more softer intellectual side. Yeah. The kicking the ass part is what gets you respect where I come from. So if you can do that, then you're a real man. Then I can listen to whatever else you say. You know yeah. what I mean? And then it becomes that pattern where it's like, okay, now, we're, we're, now, we're, now I, I can afford to listen to you because it's, uh, it doesn't make me weak. Yeah. You know, I think it's like, that modeling, that what you refer to as this revolutionary figure, I think it's in anything. Eating well, yeah. living well, relating to other people well, having good relationships, relationship with your body, how you move, all of that, you know, we, we learn from each other. Yeah. And uh, which is why it's so... Like, you can have the greatest plan in the world for how you want to change society, how you want to change culture, how you want to change... Edu like, think education, for example, right? You can come up with a perfect plan to have a great schooling system, but if the teachers going into the classroom don't model that well, yeah, then it's all bullshit. Then it doesn't matter. You can have... If anything, you know, like how a lot of people, even when they read books that they will later enjoy in life, when they read them in school, they hate them yeah. because they don't have a model of something that inspired them. You know, when they find it on their own, they like it. But it's like, oh, you, who I don't respect for 10,000 reasons, are giving me this book to read. Must be bullshit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, but I dig this idea that you're saying about having this human connection where you, we do influence each other to a large degree that way. Yeah. You're scratching at the, the Jung shadow side and all, right? that, all that stuff. You know, it's like having, it's like, if push came to shove, uh -huh. This guy, whoever, a girl, whatever, they could smash you. Yeah, that's right. True. Because they have this this awareness and this connection into their body that it's like they're you know they're like a, a weapon of peace, but they could be a weapon of destruction uh -huh. just as well. You know, and that's as you start to find that connection and that power in your body, it's like oh, now we're in a different place than just like peace, love, and amoebic yep. movement. You know, it's like we're peace, love, and we can crush. You know, and so I'm looking for that Absolutely. combination. <laughs> that, that has been one of my ongoing obsessions, which in itself is a very Taoist concept, right? Yeah. It's basically yin and yang. You need both. Right. You can't choose one, let alone if you don't embody one or the other. You're neither as yin as the yin or yang as the yang. That's really sad. Right. But even if you have only one side, it's, you're not a human being. No. You know, you're a stereotype. Yeah. And specifically what you said, I think I even had a chapter of uh, Create Your Own Religion very much on this topic, which is 
why is it that so much of what we see around us are either strong people who are complete assholes who have repressed their feelings or sweet, nice, mellow people who don't have a spine? Yeah. You know, it's like, that's a crappy dichotomy. Yeah. Having to choose between some strong fascist and sweet wimp, those are not, I don't want either. You know? How about what's wrong with combining strength and kindness, strength and sensitivity? Strength, you know, those are, they shouldn't go, they shouldn't be opposite things. They, sh- they are made to go with one another to really deliver. You yeah. know? We're momentum machines. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you see stretchy yogic people, you know, they're mostly stretchy pants and, yep. you know, nag champa and whatever. They just keep going deeper and deeper and exactly. deeper into that. And then when you see, like, the heavy metal punk rock or the wrestler yep. guy and, you know, they got the cauliflower ear and it's like, Woof, I have a pit bull. Yep. You know, it's like, Woof, like, I go totally. deeper into that. You know, but the real, again, it's the same conversation. I think that that, that power is exploring both of those realms and one place that you can to bring it back into like this kind of like niche, you know, mm-hmm. is the, the the movement part is you don't necessarily need to read all the books on Taoist philosophy or whatever it is. You could maybe just start moving a little bit more, you know, Zen Absolutely. or maybe move a little bit more punk rock or mm-hmm. move a little bit more fill in the blank. And then that's, that affects the way that you perceive the world and the effects of the way that the world perceives you. Absolutely. You know, so if you move, I can, I'm sure you, you're, you're this way as well. I can tell with pretty good accuracy mm. what someone's movement practice is, mm. you know, because you see the formation of their body. You can spot a CrossFitter so easily, right. you know, you can spot a grappler really easily. You can spot, which I was actually off on, on Savannah mm-hmm. because she has a pretty good structure. She doesn't lift any weights. No. Nope. Good. Wow. Yeah. So I was actually off on her. Um, but I could also what see that she think? has, I thought she, she did some CrossFit. Oh, I it looks like she does. Gotcha. She looks like she Olympic lifts the mm-hmm. way that her her hips hinge, the overhead range of motion that she has. She has a lot of muscular development. Sure, um, she's got like a big thing. CrossFit does a really good job is cultivating um, the hips, mm-hmm. where it f- starts to fall off sometimes as all of a sudden competition and weight becomes the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. focal point. Right, and now I just want to get her done. Yeah, you know, and I don't care about you know that the accuracy. Sure. You know, whereas something like martial arts or CrossFit or anything that you really, if you're honing in and really sharpening that blade, Mm -hmm. you get into those little subtle components of, you know, that hip hinge becomes huge. Keeping that long neutral spine becomes huge. If you get a really good coach, they can see those little tiny energetic dumps. Uh And you say right there, you're going to get squashed. Right. Right. See how you dip your head just a few degrees that way? You're setting yourself up. Right. Right. And so it's that we don't necessarily need to be like practicing hip hinging. Sure. Right. Although we should, yeah. you know, in, in the <laughs> culture that we live in. Right. But sometimes taking on a certain movement practice, it'll just bring that about. Right. And then the bigger conversation is like, how many people do these things to feel more empowered? Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, oh, why is that? Okay. Interesting. So when I'm standing and I'm stacked and I feel like I can really load yeah. weight or I feel like if somebody, if something, you know, shit hit the fan, like I could fight, yeah. you know, that feeling is empowering on levels that are way beyond Something. just like I lift more weight, Absolutely. you know, it goes deep into your psyche, deep mm-hmm. into your, you know, whatever's deeper, <laughs> <laughs> the next <laughs> level. 
<laughs> no, and it does change. And that's the thing that people think is the body is the body. No, the body is the mind. The body is yeah. your perception of reality, you know, it's and vice versa. Because, of course, your perception of reality affects your physical self. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very much a two-way street. There's I, like thinking of them as separation is missing the point. I like challenging people with that and saying, where is the separation yeah exactly and it's like kind of exactly. like an old cohen you yeah, know it's like absolutely. a cohen that I, i'm just like wait like that's that's kind of some degree of an answer for is there like this you know cartesian separation my it's like all right show me the spot yeah where's the hitch there's on the cohen there's a great one uh, i think it was a bodhidharma poem where somebody goes in and i forget i'm completely butchering because i'm forgetting the details but i remember this yeah. the essence of it where somebody goes to the zen master and is like you know i am having this uh like he's talking about some kind of mental problem you know, and uh, Bodhidharma, the Zen master, reply, okay, bring it out and show it to me. I have a big stick. I'll take care of it right now. I'll, mm. I'll hit the mental problems and make it go away. Yeah. And he's like, show, show me where it is. And it's kind of like, what do you mean? It's like, it's not a thing that way. And it's, like, and it's interesting, that idea of like, yeah, separating the two as opposed to it being a part of a, a, part of a whole. You know? I think it's it's partly allows us the space to avoid responsibility Mm -hmm. you know so sometimes like disease you know it's Mm -hmm. something that happened to me Mm -hmm. you know and so it gets into like really blurry potentially controversial area when you start thinking something like cancer or something fill in the blank thing whatever it may be you know this is beyond my scope it's kind of just things that i you know play with in my head but it's like is there a possibility that i am responsible for everything, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like that. It's, it's 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 it's, and I wonder if upon taking responsibility, you'll notice that in relationships, where you're like, yeah, like I'm I'm responsible for you and being in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sure. you did this. No, I opened myself up for you to be here. Of course, right? You yeah. know, like everything that's here, this house, the organization of my my body, my mm-hmm. my work, all that, this disease that I'm experiencing. It's not something that just came in from somewhere and... Yeah, right. right? And, There's, f- and I think that's what makes it difficult. And that's where sometimes the responsibility people get peace because they don't see a connection between this thing happening and causes yeah. you know, and what could have led to it. And now the fact is, because it's so damn complicated, sometimes you do get into an esoteric territory where it's like, who knows? Maybe there just is know. such a thing as yeah. bad luck, right? But it's worth thinking about. Maybe, totally. Even because, let's say, okay, you don't want to take it, let's say you don't feel comfortable taking it super far where it's like everything in your life boils down to, let's just say some things. Yeah. Like the other day, the other day I was reading uh, somebody's, post on facebook or something and they were talking about uh what do you do when somebody makes you feel small and insignificant and i was thinking that's a really the wrong way of thinking about (laughs) it you know it's like nobody made you feel small and insignificant you allow somebody to make you feel more small and insignificant you know what i mean it's like it's Nobody does, like, there's a stimulus there. They can say stuff or they can do stuff. But the way you respond to it, that's that's what determines whether you actually do feel small and insignificant or you don't, Yeah, you know? And then take that further into how that smallness or insignificance, mm-hmm. what's the physical translation of that? Right. Contraction. Yep. Right? You fold forward. Yep. 
right? I was just with a, th- a guy called Gil Headley, who's he's an amazing, brilliant anatomist mm-hmm. slash he's he also was a rolfer, still is a rolfer, I guess, whatever. But he he uh, works with cadavers, and he's just he, he's brilliant. He's a really really amazing guy. And uh, but we were he was showing these slides of uh, people that had you know cancer and these tumors sure. and various things like, and what it was was this adhesion. You know, so when you're looking in around and it was, you know, in the, in the, in the guts and the viscera, I don't remember exactly where, where it was, but around that, it becomes this binding and this density and this Mm -hmm. dehydration and this, right. Right. And so, okay, well, that's really interesting. So that's a, it's a physical manifestation there. And then when I have these experiences of feeling small, you know, or feeling shamed, which is a huge one, it all of a sudden puts me into a contracted place which lessens the amount of fluid that i'm able to exchange through that tissue which could you know then lead into maybe some type of adhesion and then eventually something toxic or mutation of course and i think that's where it's interesting because sometimes it's so hard to change our emotional state you know it's like somebody tell you you should relax it's like yeah thanks i really need advice <laughs> yeah. here because you know Put it's you like it's, it's, uh, or you know sleep it's good for you it, telling to an insomniac you know it's like yeah that's i don't need that advice here I, it's how yeah. and sometime going through the body is easier than trying to go through the emotions you know when you have an emotional blockage Good luck fixing it emotionally. Good luck fixing it through a force of will kind of thing where you sit down and you're going to be like, I'm going to get over this emotional state. Mm-hmm. It's not that damn easy. You know, that's why, I mean, why are most people depressed? It's not that they want to be depressed. It's not that they say, hey, don't try to put me in a... Or, yeah, I need to be told to, hey, being in a good mood is better. It's like, yeah, thanks. I know that. Yeah. And uh, I don't... But the point is, how? How do I fucking snap out of it? You know, Mm -hmm. when all this stuff is weighing heavily, how do I snap out of it? And rarely is going to be through just sitting down and say, I'm going to wheel my depression away. Yeah. doesn't work that way. You know, it's not a willpower kind of thing. But there are other things that can facilitate you being able to turn the corner. And for me one of the easiest approaches is physical. Easiest, by the way, is a relative term because it's not easy, it's easier. Those are two different things. But going through the body, like what you're saying is like, if if on a negative way, getting in certain postures, getting in certain physical states will lead to negative outcomes in, uh, in other ways, whether mental or physical, then vice versa, if I am dealing with some shitty situation, Maybe working on posture and working on the body can shift my perception of it, can yeah. shift my emotion, can shift how I relate to it. And that's probably easier to do than try to say, okay, get, o- get over your depression. It's like, yeah, that's not happening just like that. Yeah. Yeah, you can. So it's like you can put yourself in like a like a call it a double bind, you know, where it's mm-hmm. that thing where it's like you almost feel guilty or sad about this feeling of guilt or sadness. Sure. Or you're like, oh god, I'm you're stuck in there. I think you could do the same thing from a movement perspective. Mm-hmm. There's like I should be moving better. I need right. to. You can get too in your head sure. about your movement. Yeah. Right. You get too in your head about your relationship. Too in your head about whatever it may be. You know. So it's. I think it is really important to 
that conversation spans into everything. It's just kind of leveraging whatever kind of access point is best for you. Right. You know, so for you, you probably have more momentum, you could say, towards that movement place. It's always mm-hmm. been the place that you do it. Sure. And that starts to pull on the end of the string of the emotional part. Yeah. For maybe like a psychologist or something like that, they can kind of get themselves the inspiration to move mm-hmm. through kind of digging in from this kind of thought, emotional, sure. whatever, breath practice, or it may be, which is movement. Yeah, because there are a million ways. You know, sometimes it's not movement at all. Sometimes you listen to some music yeah. that changes moves your you. state of mind and it changes your state of being. It changes, you go from mm-hmm. hunched shoulders feeling weird to being open to life and being excited. Yeah, It's tricky though, because all of those things are just little helps along the way they don't change you forever and ever they just give you a wake-up call Mm -hmm. they just give you that moment of like okay let's break you out of this pattern that you're stuck in but then shortly thereafter you're going to create a new pattern and that new path you know those little things are just the things that help you break from the old one yeah but how if you don't do anything about it and you just rely on oh i just heard this cool piece of music that made me fall in love with life for the next two hours that's sweet, but three hours later, you're going to go back to default mode of where you were before, Yeah. right? It's kind of like where a lot of chiropractic sometimes, you know, you get cracked, you feel good, you get in, you're in there, oh, now I feel everything flowing. And three hours later, your muscles pull you right back where you were before you got cracked, yeah. you know? There's there's a Alan Watts, he's like my, of course, I don't know, boyfriend, girlfriend, <laughs> guru, like he's very important. And uh, one of the things that he says or mention he's dead now was um it takes practice to en- enjoy mm-hmm. it takes practice to enjoy life yep you gotta fucking work yep right you know so it's like you know coming over it's like oh cool you guys have a native american flute i've been practicing can yeah. i pick it up and play and now all of a sudden joy is manifested mm-hmm. Right, we're bringing these sounds into the room, and you, you, you attune to the frequencies, whatever you know, fluffy language, yeah. right? But it feels good. Mm-hmm. The only reason you get to that point that this feels good is because you spent time sucking. Absolutely, right? You know, so it's it's an interesting thing. If like, yeah, like surfing is a great example. Like, as you get better at surfing, surfing gets way more fun. Of course, fighting, you know, everything. I think that's the good old original meaning of the idea of Kung Fu, right? Is the mm. idea of a skill that's acquired through its time and energy. Yeah. You know, it's just a skill acquired over time. It's not something that happened right away. It's not something that you just, like most everything, why are most people hostile to learning new things? Because it doesn't fucking feel good at the beginning. You know, right. usually when you suck, when you're awkward, when you don't know what you're doing, you feel like an idiot doesn't feel immediately good. You just have this thing of like, why am I putting myself through this? Which is why a lot of people like to only do the things that they're already good at. Yeah. Right? Because it feels good. It's like, I know this is going to make me feel good. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to know my shit and it's going to feel awesome. And that's great when you found those things. But also, there are 10,000 other things you could be doing that may give you another side to it. And the initial stage is rough Mm. because you don't have that skill. You're just putting the time and energy into something and you don't see the results that not only feed your ego, but also they feed the, 
it's not even a just an ego thing. It's like it objectively feels good when you know how to do something and you can flow versus when you don't know how to flow. If you just try to jump on a surfboard 1,500 times and every time the waves, the waves smash you and you end up at the bottom of the ocean and you can't, that doesn't feel so good. Mm-mm. It's That's hard work with not a fun feeling to it. Yeah. Once you get on the damn board and you can flow through the waves then that it will feel good yeah. you know i find traveling to be a good practice for that in which way in the sense that you say so you go to if you say when you came to america for mm-hmm. the first time or i went to yeah. italy for the first time whatever my italian's bad i speak i speak spanish enough that i can I'll just force people Similar to. Enough. I'll force yeah. people to be like. I'm like, I'm from Spain. I promise, I'm yeah. not from the United States. You know, but but going into that environment where, okay, everything is so different. Mm-hmm. No one is speaking my native language. Right. I'm a beginner. Yep. <laughs> There's no way around it. Sure. You know, when you're in your neighborhood, in your place, or Joe Campbell calls it uh, detribalization, which mm-hmm. is a concept that I think is just brilliant, and beautiful. You know, it's like you go outside of that space and it forces you in that place of like, okay, like I'm, I'm just going to learn. Mm-hmm. Everybody is my teacher. The mm-hmm. best people to learn a language from are homeless people. Mm-hmm. They'll talk to you. <laughs> or kids. Or kids. Right. Yeah. You know, when we're in this, it's like, I got shit to do. Right. You know, I'm an important person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I don't have time for this. Like, are you at my level? You're the product of the five people you spend the most time with. Right. Right? So you become so specialized and myopic in your just approach to daily existence. Yep. Sometimes being like, oh, that drunk homeless man and that little child in the jungle gym, you know, like they have a lot to teach me, mm-hmm. you know, and you start seeing that yesterday I was watching this guy do magic on uh, the third street promenade in, mm-hmm. in Santa Monica. And he was amazing. He's from South Korea. His English was, was, uh, good, but it wasn't, uh, like totally fluent. Maybe Sorry. it was, I didn't, he didn't talk very much, right? But, what I got from him of just watching him, like I had to, I had to tip him because I was like, oh my god, he like really yeah. downloaded some stuff. Was he commanded first? His skill was amazing, mm-hmm. right? So that was the first thing. You know, if, if you're what you're doing is legit, yeah, people will gather, of course, right? And I think it's too often we 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 try to divert away from the ten years of like getting legit, of course, and we just like lots of followers yeah. go. Yeah. You know, it's like he just, his existence was like, whoa, that's pretty interesting. And then he did this really beautiful, he had this beautiful way about him where he didn't say anything, but he kind of guided and gestured and made these subtle little jokes and these just little things. And people were like enthralled by this guy. Right. Barely spoke English. Right. But he threw that, that handicap of not speaking very good English. All of a sudden his body language mm-hmm. and his gestures and his subtle cues are through the roof. That's awesome. You know, That's so nice. it's like, it's like, oh man. So like that guy, it would be easy if you were in the, you know, you're the product of the five people, whatever thing. And you're just like on your mission sure. to just kind of divert away. But you can find lessons with every person. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We, I don't know how that related to what we were talking about, but. And I guess that's interesting too, because sometimes you, your gift emerges through limitations, yeah. not through things they are great at. Yeah. If you think about cases, like there's a great uh, jiu-jitsu example. There's this guy, uh, Jean-Jacques Machado was, um, is it Jean-Jacques? I can't remember. He's one of the Machado brothers yeah. who um, 
had um, I forget if it was an accident or a bird effect, but basically he's missing some fingers on his hand, yeah. and so he cannot grip the gi the way you grip the gi in jujitsu. You know, so he cannot do jujitsu relying on gripping the gi because he, he does not have that kind of a grip. So all his game, which became world class, amazing, he had to work it around a handicap. And so he had to switch grips and work on over-under, underhooks, you know, that kind of things. Grips that don't rely on the gi, because he can grab the gi the same way as everyone else does. That made him paradoxically better at it, because he found ways that are different from everybody else that can work immensely well. But it starts from something where you start 50 feet behind everybody in the race it's like start and he's like yeah great you guys can grab the gi i can't so now what you know and there's something to me that's an interesting discussion in itself because there's so much of the the classic discussion about whether in terms of social justice you know where you start has a lot to do where where you end up so you usually have these two different kind of stances on this topic you either have the people who tell you it's all about society it's all about external conditions it's all about if you are born in a shitty neighborhood you are 99 percent likely to end up in this situation kind of things and if you are rich and privileged you will end up with this which makes sense because i mean there's an obvious truth to that but it's also very disempowering of the individual you know, there's the sense that you're really a product of external circumstances and you as an individual have very, very little to do with it. Mm. Partially true. But if you take it too far, that's essentially saying that it's all external. There's nothing. It goes back to somebody makes me feel small and insignificant. Things happen to you. Yeah. There's the opposite way of looking at it, which is, yes, but pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of thing. It can be done. You, no matter what a shitty situation you can be in, you can find a way to turn it around. Which is, I like it because it's empowering of the individual. It's not saying it depends on society at large. The tough part of it, though, is that it can be very. It can become an excuse not to look at some objective conditions that people deal with. Right? It's kind of like, it's like yeah, easy for you to say, motherfucker. We start. 35 feet ahead of me in this race that we have where all the conditions for you at the beginning are so much easier and then you tell me oh we're all in it together where you can do it too it's like to me it's one of those yeah both sides have it right and both sides have it wrong yeah because both sides take it a little too far like both aspects are true you know the external conditions have an impact there's no argument but what you can do as an individual also has an impact and you need to forget about the external for a minute to really focus on okay what can i do about it yeah both are real and yet i don't know i think it goes back to our addiction to this binary thinking people tend to gravitate toward one answer or another you either have the it's all about the individual you can do it nothing around you matters it's all about your effort or the, it's all about the structural conditions and we need to change those for individuals to thrive, otherwise it's too hard, right? Yeah. What's so hard about putting the two together? The mm. fact that, yeah, there are some really shit, you know, if you are born in the middle of South Sudan today, your odds they are going to be win a Nobel Prize in physics are pretty slim. Mm-hmm. You know, that just 
objective reality. Yeah. That doesn't mean you can't do it, <laughs> you know, and those are the cards you are given. They may be shitty cards, but complaining about the fact that the cards are shitty are not going to change the cards. What can I do with these cards that I have here to play them in the best possible way? Yeah. Both are very reasonable stances, but most people tend to like only one answer or another. I guess one question I have for you, why do you think that is? Why do we do that to ourselves? Yeah, I, well, so, uh, I, so I was pondering on something similar to this the other day. So I ride my bicycle with my surfboard in my hand mm-hmm. and I'm pedaling. I'll try to do no hands and it's just like it's a cool embodied experience you know that I go to the ocean it's like a very nice kind of like revamp thing and sometimes I'll get passed by people on those battery bikes Mm -hmm. you know and I'm like ah damn battery bike guy he's like just crush he smoked me of course you know but then you get off the bike you know and I'm a little bit later you know or fill in the blank person's a little bit later but I worked so much harder of course you know, and so the, I think sometimes it's it's there is value in being in that that disadvantage. And sure. sometimes, I mean, you know, probably most times, you know, but it's just about, I guess, what you want in the end. I think sometimes it's like we can cut ourselves some slack. You know, we, we constantly live in this place where it's always I think that's a it's a mental illness, you know, the feeling of I am almost there. Mm hmm. Right? Sure. It's like you're never gonna be there. Of course. <laughs> of course. You know, so sometimes I think when you're in that place where it's like all I have is kind of like a rusty, kind of crankety little bike and a surfboard, and I'm just gonna kind of prod it along, mm-hmm. and I'm getting smoked by that guy. But when we get off the bike, one person would probably smash the other person in like a you know like a, like a, a grapple. Sure. You know, and it's probably not the person that got floated to the beach. Well, and, and that's the other thing that's fun is that, you know, we, because human history has been so rough, we tend to think of the disadvantage as the hardest things in life. Yeah. Because there are 10,000 hard things in life that are objective disadvantages. But then there's also the opposite problem. Because, again, people think when I get to a certain spot, then life will be easy. Easy creates its own sets of difficulties. Totally, man. Because, which is why you see people who are super rich, they are not any less depressed than the person who's super poor. If anything, you find a fairly high level. I mean, the fact that in the US, there's a level of depression that's off the charts, probably even more than in some shitty place with no money. Yeah. That doesn't mean we should all live in a shitty place with no money, but there is something to be said about... Quote, unquote, and I put it in quotation marks because easy is a relative term, of course, but having things easier sometimes just doesn't give you the instruments you need to face life, yeah. you know, which is why a lot of kids who grow up in more privileged situation end up being weak. It's weird. It's a paradox, right? It's like if you grow up in a really unprivileged situation, really poor in the ghetto, you'll be fucked up for a certain set of reasons. And you'll have to struggle with those things to not be fucked up. Yeah. If you grow up in a super wealthy, rich neighborhood, guess what? You'll still be fucked up just for different reasons. Yeah. And it's like each one, you know, where we are in one place, we think that the other one will be so much easier. You know, people sometimes romanticize having a harder life when they have it easy. And it's like, well, wait until you get it, then you tell me. But then vice versa, there's the, when you have it hard, you think, oh, if I have all this money, if I have the house on the beach, then everything will be easy. And it's like, it looks that way from the outside, 
it may not really be that easy when you get there because it's what you said you know you haven't used you haven't been trained to use certain muscles yeah and i'm using muscles metaphorically but sure so you are when you get off your fancy bike you're weaker yeah you are not as strong as somebody else who has gotten through that process so it's a funny gig because it's like no matter what cards you are handed to you some are clearly better than others there's no argument but every one of them comes with challenges Mm -hmm. and that in itself is that's where strength comes from is figuring out a way to play well with the challenges you have in front of you yeah there is no life where you have no challenges and you can just sit back and you know you have the perfect body and you move perfect it comes through effort you know effort is at the root of everything that way it's like the batman begins you know he's like he's got everything yep and he denounces it or renounces it. Is it denounce or renounce? Is renounce, probably. What I'm does denounce mean? I mean? Kind of <laughs> like, this sucks. Oh, yeah. I shouldn't be. You know? <laughs> okay, yeah. He did, he did that to it. Yeah. You know, because it was too much superfluous shit. Yep. <laughs> you know, and so when you're in that place of ease, even having it be like, a, okay, well, I'm just going to kind of pretend. Like, sometimes losing everything mm-hmm. becomes somewhat of a rite of passage. Right. There's always that whisper mm-hmm. in the background of like, you were given this. Yeah, totally. Super quick break from the conversation to give a shout out to Vincero, our new sponsor for this episode. These guys produce high quality watches for affordable prices. I'm very much looking forward to getting my own watch, which should currently be making its way to my door while fighting holiday mail. These guys have over 5,000 five star reviews. So that tells you something right there. On top of that, they offer free first-class shipping and they have a two-year warranty. So check them out by visiting getthewatch.net. So it's three words all back-to-back, getthewatch.net, where you can see their whole stunning collection. If you use the promo code TAOIST, T-A-O-I-S-T, you will receive 15% off your very own Vincero watch. So you can check them out again at getthewatch.net and use the code TAOIST. They also have a great collection of women's watches, if you haven't scooped up a nice gift for your lady yet. And if you are a last-minute shopper, no worries, expedited shipping is available. So again, go Find out for yourself at getthewatch.net and use the code TAOIST. Recently, I was with a friend in Ojai, actually. This is where something like this would happen. And uh, we were at this Thanksgiving party. It was beautiful, amazing. And then uh, these mushroom, psilocybin mushroom chocolates started getting passed out. And uh, I didn't actually use any at that time because I was going to drive back. Yeah. But... Um, in that, there was somebody had mentioned uh, to a friend of mine, said, hey, maybe this would be a great opportunity to have like a rite of passage with your 14-year-old son, mm-hmm. which people hear in this be like, oh, dear God, sure, like pull your head. Yeah. But then when you think about it, I'm like, at first I was like, oh, whoa. And then I thought about it a little bit more. I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound too bad. Mm-hmm. You know, having that, because you're going to experience that stuff anyway. Sure. You know, you're doing all these random different things. But... I think at that young age, we just don't have that in our culture. First time I ever smoked weed was, um, I was 11, yeah, and really it was with too. my mom. 
Good for you. And it was very nice. Yeah. You know, it's like some friend came over to visit some friends of my mom. And this lady had a joint and they were going to smoke. And I was like, hey, that looks interesting. Cool. What's up? I heard about it. And they were like, so this lady was like, okay, wow. my mom, what do we do? And my mom was like, yeah, I mean, if you want to take a hit. And she talked to me a lot about it in a way that was interesting because, um, I mean, in the specifics, so I took my couple of hits and I slept like a baby. It was awesome. And I was like, yeah. oh, this was nice. But check out how it worked. Um, in Italy, especially back then, a lot of people smoked tobacco. Like it was normal. Majority of people smoke, which is horrible for your health, right? On a yeah. regular basis, you go through a pack a day. That's terrible. So a couple of years later, maybe less, uh, a lot, some of the kids in my school are beginning to smoke and I'm curious about it. So I'm beginning to smoke cigarettes, right? And then I have a discussion with my mom where she's like, hey, I don't mind, you know, you want to try to see what it's like, try and see what it's like. But let's be real about it. That's fucking bad for you. Yeah. You know, tobacco on a regular basis, that's really, really bad for your health. But here is what happens. You are the same mom who just told me that it's okay once in a, in a while to smoke some weed. And she's not demonizing it. It's not. So you have built some credibility there because you're not saying no to everything. Where mm. then in classic teenage spirit, you do the opposite. Because it's like, well, fuck you then. You know, you're just preventing me from having fun. That's where it's at. Suddenly the attitude there is like, I'm not preventing you from having fun. I just want to make sure you're safe and you're happy. Yeah. If we can check those boxes, if we can make safe and happy, okay, then I don't do whatever you want. Smoking tobacco, not safe, not a good thing. And yeah. so suddenly, whereas pretty much everybody I knew started smoking cigarettes in their teenage years, I never did. So the very same thing, which look from a strict point of view, like, oh my God, she let you smoke weed with her at 11 once. That was terrible. It's the very thing that allowed me never to smoke tobacco as a habit, as mm. a regular thing, you know? Yeah. And I was like, the universe is more complicated than people think that way, you know? We Whereas handicap like, people here. Yeah. You know, we handicap people by creating, like, United States is like a nerf reality. It's the bumpers. Right. You know, so you expect, oh, man, I see this all the time. I'll always kind of uh, try and... Maybe I don't know. This maybe it's not my maybe it's not my right to do this, but for some reason it feels appropriate when someone's not paying attention and I'm on my bike. I'll go like dangerously close to them sometimes. Right. I'm in full control. Sure. No way I'm gonna hit yeah. them. Right. But just a little like let you know, I could have not been paying attention, yeah. and I we could be have. a car, and you could be fucking dead right of now. Course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know. And so it's yeah. it's it's like this. When you go into a place like Europe or you go to the Alps or you go like freaking anywhere, you know, the first time I did this motorcycle trip through Mexico and Central America, I was like yeah. 20 years old and it was like, you know, my first big kind of send off of kind of seeing a different yeah. culture. And it's this feeling of like, if you kill yourself, you're a dummy, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like you, it's like Darwin, you know, it's like you probably like, no, don't step on the edge of the cliff. Yeah. You might fall over and die. That's how it is. We don't need to put a sign up. Right. It's pretty clear, right? It's like, you don't need to, right? And so, a, a, you know, like, a, have you seen Idiocracy? Oh, yeah, of course. The movie? Yeah, yeah. You know, so we have these, these, these people, you know, bless their hearts. They just, they're just a product of their environment. Uh -huh. There's no harshness against the individual. But they grew up with blinders on, in a sense. Absolutely. 
You know, and so because we live in that culture that's so like litigation happy. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, so we have that danger on everything, right? We need to take it upon ourselves to go in and say like, I got my own back as well. I got my friends back. I got my like. I have Mm -hmm. that adaptability. I see that there's the bumper there. I'm still gonna kind of pretend it's just not there. Sure. You know, and then from there, I think there's a lot of empowerment in that. But it's like again, it's just it's a really fascinating conversation around just how how much your environment changes you and i think that's one of the complicated scenarios because it's so human to want things easier it's so human to want for your kids to have an easier life right yeah and there's something good about it but at the same time as we are saying if you push the easy factor a little too far you create weak individuals yeah so what's the boundary? Because, you know, the danger part, the hard part doesn't feel good and you do not want it for your loved ones. When you see somebody struggle, when you see somebody possibly putting themselves in a mildly risky situation, you want to avoid all risks, make them 110% safe and not have to struggle. Yeah. But then you create weak individuals. Yep. And so you have this weird thing where clearly... You don't want to then drop somebody off in the middle of a minefield and say, good luck, because that's going to make you stronger to deal with tough things in life. You don't want that. But at the same time, you don't want to make it so easy and comfy that people don't. It's like lifting weights that way, right? It's like you don't want to lift 500 pounds that's going to crush you, but you don't want to not lift at all where you don't develop the strength. You know, you need to figure out what's the right amount that allows me to challenge myself without killing myself. Yeah. And there's, that's, I mean, there's a reason that yin and yang and, you know, that's, that's ubiquitous through Mm -hmm. most every philosophy. There's some kind of variation of that, that on off expansion, contraction in out. Because it's life. (laughs) That's the language of life. (laughs) Yeah. And you look at that from like all the things that you might not want to do to your child because it's, you know, tormenting, like having a fast, Mm -hmm. You know, like we we don't have food today, right? Horrible. Could you imagine? You couldn't feed your whoever. You treat yourself. You're your own child. I didn't have food today. That's like we need to. It's domestic. You know, we got to call somebody. Meanwhile, at a physiological level, all of a sudden the kid starts upregulating brain-derived neurotrophic factor. All these words, right? You know, it makes their body stronger. It goes through, uh, it starts breaking down, kind of like cleaning up old cells that might mm-hmm. potentially be you know, mutated sure. or something that's weaker in your body, right? It starts cleaning all that up. It's this really important process. Sure. What's the whole science of fasting? Because I never look into, I mean, I've heard them enough to be vaguely educated, but not enough to really get it. Yeah, it's not my depth. Sure. Uh, it's no, something that I've, you know, sure. yeah. But so one of the things is, so I just talked to a guy called, called Dr. Mercola. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with him? Oh, yeah. He's like famous internet doctor guy. Yeah. And um, that was, you know, one of the things we were getting into was that like, that's people that are that doing like, you know, longevity type mm-hmm. diets. It's eat less, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's taxing to eat food. Right. Right. You know, and then a, a big thing upon that as well, which is another really great book called The Plant Paradox, mm-hmm. which is, have you ever heard of that one mm-hmm. by chance? Got to check it out. Really good. Um, a guy called Stephen Gundry, another guy that I just I just recorded a conversation with. It gets into how plants, and I'll get back to the fasting thing, but mm-hmm. plants aren't just there as 
you know, eat me, I'm for sure. you. You know, it's not the creationist yeah. perspective that I think that some of us maybe maybe still hold on to from right. a plant. But they're like, okay, I can't move, right? I can't run. I can't fight you. Yep. I've been around for way, way longer than you, evolving and adapting. What I can do is I can change my chemistry to mess you up at a gastrointestinal sure. level. Right. Right? So it's like we, I think that just the idea that it's always like more is better, more is better, mm-hmm. more is better. For one thing, no. You know, taking it out gives your body a little bit of time to rest. Also allows that blood to go into your muscles. Mm-hmm. You know, so now all of a sudden maybe your training is a little bit more effective because your blood's not all pulled up in your belly, of in course. your intestines. Of course. Right? Maybe your thought is a little bit clearer because your blood's not all piled up into your belly. And then also the other thing, which is, again, out of my scope, but something worth looking into is uh, converting over to burning ketones. Mm-hmm. You know, so ketosis is like a of sexy course. subject. But all these, I'm just saying these more is just kind of interesting little side tangents of interesting. So we throw this new adaptation that at first sucked, but then the next day I got so much benefit out of that. Do you do, you do that every so often? Do you yeah, do I like, did it today. Uh, you do fasting of like intermittent fasting, just like eating certain hours a day or just doing a day or two or three or whatever, yeah, or so, you just give up completely? So Gundry suggests having a 16-hour uh, off food. Okay. Right? So you know, the intermittent so you have... fasting thing, right? You start at 11 a.m., you finish yeah. by 7 p.m., that's yeah. it. So after, after here, so I haven't eaten any food yet. Um, and everyone's their own experiment. Sure. You know, you're your own of N of one. I hate hearing people that are like, well, this is what I did. So for this sure. is the way to go. It's yeah. like, that's ridiculous. That works for you. That's great. Yeah. Right. This is just something I'm tinkering with. Yeah. You know, but I haven't eaten anything yet today. And what time is it now? It's about almost one. Almost one. Yeah. And I, and it's like, you get these artificial hunger pangs of like, it's, I think it's more of a, like an emotional dependence. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's noontime. It's time to t- have a break. Yeah, yeah, of course. Right? We associate yeah. that to like, oh, I stop working. Right. You know, and I go I eat, eat food. I feed course. my face. Yeah. Right? right. <laughs> so you get that. It's like the Pavlov dog thing. You get that ding. Totally. That salivation thing happens. And then it's, but if you can kind of move past that, you're like, oh, wait. Maybe I can start pulling my ding toggles. You know, but you have to actually break through that point to start to have any degree of control over them. Right. And then you end up feeling a bit more clear. So that's how you handle it usually is like doing the intermittent fasting, not necessarily days All you, in a row. Right but... now I'm messing with eating around um, like essentially around like noon or, or one right. or so. And then having another meal around like six. And then try to cut it that way. Yeah. Right? And it's convenient now because it gets dark so early. Yeah, right now it's whatever date it is, December. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it gets dark at five o'clock mm-hmm. and so it's like, oh, that's great. I can eat like a reasonable hour yeah. in the summertime. It's kind of a pain in the butt because you don't want to, you know, so, but I, 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 one thing I find crucially important is limiting your food intake. Gundry calls it four hours before bed, mm-hmm. but just mess with it. Right. <laughs> you know, some type of range. Generally speaking yeah. from, you know, my own personal experience and from a lot of people that are like true experts mm-hmm. in this topic, they pretty much are all saying the same thing. Right. You know, the sooner you eat before bed, the crummy you're going to feel the next day. Right. And also affects your brain's ability to recuperate. Right. Right. Your energy, instead of going up in here yeah, yeah, you know, and moving all the, that are... fluid, it's now, it's like, okay, we're going to just figure out this burrito. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to figure out this burrito sound like an excellent book title. Yeah, exactly. I love it. 
We're going to figure out this burrito. I like yeah, it. That's what it is. That's, uh, yeah, you only have so much you know, multitasking ability. Yeah. We, we only have 120 bits of information that we can take in in a moment. So that's about two conversations. I can listen to one person right. really well. As soon as I go two people, I can kind of get yeah. the ideas. Past that, it's over. Of course. Right? Of course. The, um, I think that should be the title of your autobiography. We can figure out this burrito. <laughs> Let's figure out this That's goddamn a, burrito yeah. situation. I like it. That's hilarious, man. <laughs> That's funny. That's cool. So how did you actually how did you stumble in all this? Like you decided to make it sort of your life work to be focused on the body yeah. primarily. The body and the way you approach it. Yeah. Um what was how did it happen? Because, you know, it's not like the kind of thing that when you're seven years old, you think, because it's not, how is it even a job? You know, it's not a job in the classic sense that existed 30 years ago. Right. You know, this is something that you basically, I mean, there are people who do what you do, of course. It's not that you're the only one. Yeah. But it's not exactly the typical job description either. No. So how did that process happen? I got lucky at a young age. I've told this story a bunch of times now, but... um my dad started smoking crack and uh (laughs) let's unpack that for a second i got lucky at a young age statement number one my dad started smoking crack statement number two we're waiting for statement number three because usually most people don't see the connection between a and b this is legit um you know and so he was uh doing all sorts of really really not so great things and um he was essentially just getting bored of life, I think. You know, he was like stockbroker and he had a, he did falconry, had hawks, and we had right. a president of the Nature Conservancy, I think, or something. Mm-hmm. Very wholesome type, you know, right. a, a, at least appearing existence. And then, uh, I don't know what, I think he got bored of it or something oh. like that. But then he stumbled upon the exciting world of crack cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, got into all sorts of interesting worlds. And uh, it was pretty bad. It was like he was on the the hanging... I I replayed his death every day. Mm -hmm. I was fully... He's dead. There's no way he's surviving more than maybe a month. Wow. You know, it was like... It was was pretty... It was pretty in there. And um, so that was like 16, 17 or so. And around that age is the same age that I started. I got a job as a personal trainer, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I was young. So I was, I started working at LA fitness as I was 16. I somehow like snuck in, got to know the guy sure. that owned it or whatever. He was, I was really big. I was into bodybuilding. Yeah. I was like 225. I had a beard, you know, and it was right. a lot of, it was a lot of, um, I was protecting myself. Yeah. So I packed on muscle. Sure. And then I also packed on information. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was I was working with people that were like thir- in their thirties sure. as career personal trainers. I'm like in high school, yeah. doing it. So I had a lot of pressure to try and learn as much as I could. But the reason the reason I say I got lucky and and Dad got into kind of like kind of falling away was uh, it, it created this feeling of okay, I need to have a role, <laughs> right? There's no there's this the floor. Is falling. There. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah. The floor is pretty much yeah. fallen. You know, so you're like, oh, God, I need spackle mm-hmm. fast. <laughs> <Something> <laughs> so right. we start laying yeah. some spackle down. 
you know and, and i think that that's it's the same thing it's like the disease of affluence thing mm-hmm. we we're talking about it's like if stuff's too easy you're yeah. like oh cool like dad'll get it it's fine you know but if at whatever age yeah, you start you to have to... this even if it's like a, a you know some whatever however you form that awareness that shit can hit the fan oh yeah you know, yeah. it's like a stoic philosophy sure. kind of thing, like replaying. What's the worst case scenario? Yeah, with this? the worst case sucks. So let me figure out how I can work around it. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. That would do it. That <laughs> would do it. Yeah. <laughs> what happened on the crack cocaine side of things? He went to prison, mm-hmm. and then I moved to Hawaii, and uh, I was going to go to physical therapy school, but I moved to Hawaii instead, and just uh, started washing dishes originally. And then started cooking and mm-hmm. like moved up the ranks. Yeah. This restaurant called Colleen's in Haiku, if anybody ever goes. And, um, you know, just started working my way through there. But it was, it was, you know, again, it was always this feeling by being put on your own, yeah, in quotations. You know, and I'm also still very lucky in lots of ways. And there's always somebody you could kind of call on or whatever. Sure. And I'm freaking tall, white, male. Right. Like, there's a lot of advantages. Of I'm course. not trying to do like a woe is me. You know, but by being in those positions, there's always this kind of itch of, I got to put this shit together, mm-hmm. you know, and that itch led to how can I help people? Yeah. How can I help people? Well, I've been, you know, fairly obsessive with like bodybuilding and figuring out nutrition and movement, all yeah. that stuff since I was a little guy. That's it. I'm just going to dig into that. That's awesome. You know, and then, you know, 15 years later, it's like, I think a lot of times artists are it takes a you know probably most all times artists it takes time to get to that point where people are finally like oh i'd like to pay you for that yeah yeah, Yeah, that is one of totally i mean partially (laughs) and there's something through there's something legitimate and something not legitimate there's the legitimate part is it takes time to get good at anything yeah there's the less legitimate part is that unless you look the part then you know, there are cases of people who have brilliant, amazing ideas very young and nobody listened to them until 15 years later where really what suddenly they are selling is the same idea that they had when they were 19. Yeah. But now that you are in your 30s, we listen to you because you look legit, you know, whereas yeah. ah, you're a 19-year-old kid, what the fuck do you know? Right. You know? And uh, so both things are true there, but that's kind of awesome. Except for Martin Luther King. Right, that you get you get the exceptions of the right thing. People like that, and then like most like the big rock stars die at twenty seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Music is different. Yeah, music is different. But most, I mean, there are yeah, there are a few fields where anything yeah, it's the opposite. You need to be young to be taken into consideration. They're usually athletic fields. Yeah, because clearly athleticism. I think Einstein too was really young when he came up with a lot of his big theories. Really, I believe. Fact check. But we're, pretty, pretty sure this little guy. I have a, I'll get a lot of guilt when I look into some of those things. I love finding out that people like had their big thing when they're like forty. Oh yeah, totally. Because you know, I'm like, okay, right. cool. Like that feels yeah. normal. Yeah. But when you find out somebody discovered the theory of whatever when they were like twenty, I'm like, oh, I'm such an asshole. I've done, <laughs> I've done nothing. <laughs> I don't deserve this deserve cookie nothing. I'm about to eat. I'm gonna terrible. fast and lash myself yes, more. Exactly. <laughs> That's a, there's a Julius Caesar thing like that, where at one point he was in Spain and he saw this statue to Alexander the Great and he looked at himself and he's like, by the time he was my age, Alexander the Great had already conquered half of the world. What the fuck have I done? And he's all like bummed out about it and all of that. It's pretty funny. Yeah. 
comparison. Yeah, totally. It's a mofo. It's, it is a weird thing because, again, duality of things. Like, on one end, is good because sometimes it's motivating you to light a fire under your ass and yeah. get moving with life, not just constantly wait. On the other end is also the, hey, man, relax. You know, it's not all about uh, accomplishment in an external sense. It's also about how you enjoying life, you know. Do you think about your death much? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the things that I always find. Uh, yeah, you know, it's weird. I was listening to this thing with, who was it? It was Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? Great. yeah. And he had this thing, though, that I kind of disagreed with because some, they were having an interview about death and dying. And the guy, like, Neil deGrasse Tyson, basically, you know, coming from a very scientific, materialistic standpoint, he believes, you know, this life is it. You know, when you're dead, you're dead. There's nothing survived. There's no soul. There's no spirit. There's no energy. There's no nothing. It's mm. This is it, right? It sounds boring. Totally. Your yeah. brain shuts down. <laughs> it's <laughs> over. It's done. And I was like, yeah, that kind of sucks. As a... But beside that, the, um, one of the things he said was, uh, um, and this is great. And the interviewer was like, why is it great? And, you know, and the grass Tyson was like, well, if somebody told you you want to live forever, you wouldn't want to, right? And right there I was like, well, I kind of would, but okay, go on. Where are you going with it? And the thing that he was trying to say was, look, if you have unlimited time, you'll have less motivation. Whereas if you have a sense of urgency because you know that time is running out, you will shape your life by making you more motivated, giving meaning to everything you do. And I was like, yeah, I could not disagree more there because I'm yeah. like, I can fucking find motivation. I have enough things that I'm passionate about, that I'm intrigued with, that I'm interested in, that I can probably spend 15,000 years alive without getting bored and being highly motivated every single day. So no, I don't know what you're talking about, where suddenly this idea that death to him is a key motivator doesn't make sense to me, you know? It's like, if anything, no, it's like, give me all the time in the universe and I'll still have more stuff I want to do. And... uh, Time will run out before motivation does. My motivation is not likely to drop anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, what's your feel on this? Oh, man. Well, more Alan Watts stuff. He's like my, my go-to with any question that's bigger than me, um, which is, I guess is probably most questions. But he uh, talks about human beings as being kind of like a, a wave in the mm-hmm. ocean. You know, and so it's, you got this big old honking ocean and then you have these waves that are kind of sure. coming up and then they bang against the shore and they kind of come up, they merge out of the surface of the ocean and kind of wave at you for a little bit, right? You know, and then, then, and then yeah. break down that, and they go back, as part back of into the ocean. it, yeah. you know, and so my feeling is uh, that we are continuous, like we're having this still kind of disconnected conversation around how environment affects us or Mm -hmm. forms us, you could go another step and say, environment is us, Mm. right? You know, Mm -hmm. another way going like the Gil Headley anatomy fascia talk thing that I went to recently, he was showing all these and he's deep, deep into these analogies but he was showing us these various different pictures of clouds and such that he would take and just various things that he'd be seeing in nature and you'd see you'd say oh you see that oh that's your loose areolar fascia mm-hmm. right you see that design in the sky it's like identical 
to the design in your connective tissue right. at a microscopic level. Yeah. Right. So that you, know, you kind of keep on reiterating this question of like, you know, where are you? What is you? Sure. You know, is because you have this ectoderm, your skin bag mm-hmm. thing that conceals you. Does that is there actually any real separation there? Because the reality is that's crawling with organisms. That's isn't, your microbiome. That's its pores. It's breathing. Isn't that funny though that we live in this interconnected world and that at the same time is a completely cannibal world where everything eats something else that's alive? Yeah, like we couldn't sue each other constantly. Yeah, it's. Odd. We're consuming each other right now, not just intellectually, mm-hmm. not just from a thought perspective, but you know, we're, we're, you say we're inoculating each other to each other's bacteria, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So when you're with somebody, it's really important. Again, the same, same thing, I think it's Jim Rohn or whoever it was, you're the product of the five people mm-hmm. you spend the most time with, right? Part of that could be that we're sharing each other's bacteria, mm-hmm. Right, you know, so there's like toxoplasmosis sure. and you know, all these different things where it's like, oh, bacteria kind of form. It's almost like brainwashes you yeah. in a way, right? You know, so it's as we're as you come into the room, we're just off gas, and this whole room is poof, right filled with us right now, mm-hmm. right? And we're breathing it in, and we're not just breathing it in through our noses and our sure. mouths, but through our skin. That gives a whole new feeling to like be stuck in the Freaking subway out. with like 500 people you don't like. And yeah. Like, yeah. So that feeling of empathy, maybe that feeling of empathy that you're experiencing mm-hmm. is you're inside that kind of gaseousness right. of another human being. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> that makes me... There are a lot of human beings that I'm like, yeah, I'm deeply offended by the fact that you're sharing my oxygen right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's... Or people wearing chemicals. Right, of course. You know, so I was at yeah. the, the Apple store yesterday and, and uh, I was just doing this. I was walking around and I was kind of, just for the hell of it, kind of like telling people's stories in my head you know mm-hmm. kind of following people and yeah. you know hopefully not too stalkerishy but but kind of like just creating these stories I do at airports sure. i do whenever i'm bored essentially right you know looking at their posture looking at their mm-hmm. clothes looking at their mannerisms yeah. the way that, you know all that and kind of just like oh, what do i pick from taking this, them right? in yeah you know and there's there's certain people that you're around that uh you want to open yourself up more to oh totally. right sex is a big one with this mm-hmm. don't have sex with anybody that you wouldn't want inside of you Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you wouldn't want to kind of take a little piece of that you know i think that we're we're doing that throughout the day we're always kind of sharing each other's you know you call it fucking energy or your vibe no but totally i mean 99 percent of the time well okay maybe not 99 but a lot of the time is uh i'll usually i'll know whether i like somebody or i don't within about three seconds yeah it's fast and then the rest is just finding reasons so that my brain can be convinced of whatever it is that I felt in that moment. Yeah. But that feeling, the we click or we don't, is not a I need to get to know you kind of thing. It's not at all. Right. It's, it's either there or it's not. It's either, and to me, it's like it's not everything that you are is in your body. Everything in you are is in your skin, is in the way you, you move, in the way you smile. In your... There are times when I literally, I won't even see somebody. I'll hear the tone of their voice behind yeah. me and I'll either be really intrigued or I'll be like, oh, Jesus Christ, let me step away. You yeah. know? And it's just, 
it's who you are. It's all your experiences are packed in everything you do. Yeah. And so to me, it's just if uh, I always use this line because it makes sense to me. But if like a damn chihuahua can just smell you for three seconds and decide whether to growl at you or to just cuddle up against you, why is it that we have lost that ability? Yeah. Because it's really not that hard when you think about it. Chihuahuas have filters too, though. Right. You know, so that's, so as you're moving through the world, you take mm-hmm. that three seconds, sure. you know, and there's, that's, again, there's like sciencey studies to say, I think it's like, you know, like you said, the five seconds sure, or something. It's really fast it yeah. that you create this mm-hmm. story. I like him. I hate yeah. him. I'm neutral. Yeah. You know, and you can say like, I want to sleep with that person mm-hmm. or I want to build an empire with that person sure. or I want to, you know, it's how will this person kind of build this, yeah. this organism that is, that is me. Mm-hmm. If the answer is, Oh, they're going to hurt you, or they're going to be neutral. Yeah. It's kind of just all right. Cut it. Right. Right. You know, it, it, it's. Uh, oh, I had a thought that I was excited about. I don't remember what it was. Some excitement. Oh, the filter. The filter part. Yeah, the oh, filter yeah. part. Sometimes I think we can trick ourselves with that filter, though. You know, so I think it is really important to. to... In which way? So Chihuahua. Chihuahua used to get beaten. Mm-hmm. He got left outside in the whatever. Sure. He doesn't trust big bearded men. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. You know, but so I think that that's something that I get, I have kind of created a story about people many times, and then all of a sudden they surprise me, you know, and I think that that is a really beautiful thing sometimes where it's like, you know, maybe their clothes are stinky, maybe they're whatever it may be. I wish I could share in this beautiful surprise, but you know, I'm always (laughs) right, so I don't know how that even feels. It's... uh... You might be maybe maybe it's maybe it's been a higher percent. Maybe I I was tricked that I felt tricked. Maybe there was like a double. No, double I mean to me it's interesting. Here is what happens. I either get a feeling that if I get a strong feeling, I can think of too many cases where I feel like I was wrong. Like, but yeah, a no, bunch of the time I don't get a strong feeling, so it could go either way. Yeah, you know, it's not that it's like okay, tell me about this one. It's like it's not like it's that automatic that I can know about everybody. But if I do get a strong feeling, whether positive or negative, well, then that usually is the real deal, no matter what. You know, after finding out things, they usually will be that way. I totally agree. But a bunch of times I won't get a strong feeling. It's kind of like, eh, could go either way. I know? think the filter, I mean, it's almost like when we go to a party, for example, mm-hmm. everyone's going to have a different perspective of that party. Sure. You know, and I think that their perspective of that party is based off of the filter's broadly based off of the filters that they go into the party with. I believe that totally applies to everybody else, except <laughs> right, because right, <laughs> mine right. is the correct right. one. <laughs> you Yours know? is the correct one. Yeah, that's just... Uh... But just more as like, a, just like thought experiment purposes. I just think it is fascinating to have, it's the detribalization mm-hmm. thing again. That awareness of like, okay, I do have a filter. Of course. But then the gut thing that you're talking about, mm-hmm. I think that's 99.9% accurate. Mm-hmm. You know, there's probably maybe moments that it's that it's a little off but i think the times that it's off it's probably a filter error well and Your also not clean a lot of people have been taught to distrust it to why would you make that assumption you don't know the person you don't know this place you don't know this thing why would you respond so quickly you know it's like and people then stop trusting it is like no, it's kind of like the classic story you hear it 10,000 times of people is like I did get a bad feeling walking into that room or walking down that yeah. alley or running into this person but I told myself oh you're just being prejudiced and right. it's like and then over and over then it turns out no guess what you are right yeah. you know 
to me, too many people do that all the time where they don't trust that perception because oh, yeah. they think that the only thing that's real are rational thoughts. That's real. You know, objective evidence that's real. These are feelings. Feelings are not real. And it's like, in what universe right. did you decide that that stuff is any less real than a rational thought or... Yeah. That's just as real, you yeah. know. It's like and it's like any skill. If you feed it, it's like a muscle. If you develop it, yeah. you'll become progressively more in tune with these things. So that when you do get a strong feeling from somebody, it's not gonna be because you're projecting. It's not gonna be because you have your, you know, if you know yourself enough, you'll be able to tell when it's you being jealous or you being in your own mind or you being in whatever emotion is affecting your judgment. Yeah. And when it's something where it's like, no, man, this is not me. This is I'm picking something up right there. Yeah. And there's a guy, uh, his last name's Morabian. It was a in Harvard study, some like 60s, sometime mm-hmm. in the 60s. And it's, this is something that's been repeated a lot. But he uh, did a, a study around how we're communicating to each other. Mm-hmm. And are you familiar with this one? It was mm-hmm. 55% of our communication from what he gathered obviously this is this sure. is i'm sure the scale slides a little bit on this but 55 percent is the number he gathered is body language yeah totally. right and the body language is not just the you know the position of your sure. shoulder girdle it's the elasticity of your skin it's mm-hmm. the dilation of your pupils it's the you know everything that yep. you know i would even f- pull into that your your smell like anything coming off of your body sure you're speaking with it, mm-hmm. right? And then they, they came up with 38% was tonality, right? So if I speak right now, you know, I've probably practiced in a sense this voice. It's a little bit deeper, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, it's calming, neutral, <laughs> authoritative, right. you know, yeah. whatever. That, at least that was what I was shooting for probably mm-hmm. at some point, right? If I start going up like this, I go a little bit higher, a little bit faster. All of a sudden, it's a little bit of a different. It, it's, it's like I think I maybe I hated this guy before, but now I really hate him. I know that there's. <laughs> I, I won't mention name. Very famous public intellectual that a lot of people are into, and I was trying to break down the reason why I think I really dislike this guy, and I think I realize. As superficial as that may sound, eighty-five percent is voice. Yeah, I just cannot take the whiny tone that just is on all the time, and I'm yeah. just like, God, that just great on me. And this... yeah, I always wonder if there's some type of with that. Maybe it's just as simple as a voice box, but if there's some type of emotional hang-up, physical hang-up. I don't think there's a separation. I don't think it's just a voice just because the voice is, uh, oh, some random card you are given. I think the way everything you are affects your tone. Yeah. I think there are a bunch of times when I listen to myself and I'm hearing what I'm saying and I'm like, I like what I'm saying. And I hear my tone and I'm like, I don't like that tone. That tone is saying something other than what I'm saying. That tone is talking frustration that tone is talking some mild anger mm-hmm. that tone is saying things that are have nothing to do with the content of what i'm saying but i can feel it it's right there and it's kind of a check on myself it's like okay you know y- your opinions are the same as always but your tone is telling me something very different about where you're coming from yeah you know you have this amazing opportunity to hear yourself you know, so, so many people we just don't have, like, that's why a coach mm-hmm. will just slingshot you ahead 
so much further, right. oftentimes, than you just by yourself yeah, in a room. Yeah, because they can see something they else. They see it. Like, yeah, of course. Right? You know, so if you start cultivating your vision for something and you're studying the books and you're talking to the other experts or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you take a video of yourself, or in oh, this yeah. case, an audio of yourself, you can hear it and say, oh my God, I'm like totally saying something different than I thought I was. Absolutely. Why do people always respond to me in this way? Why do I always get slapped in the face by yep. girls every time I do this thing? I thought I was being really polite. You know, it turns out like I was saying something completely different. Yep. The the tone behind it is to me the tone is part of the message. Yeah. Is not and there are plenty of cases where I then I yeah, I look back at myself and I'm like motherfucker. Yeah. What you say the sound that's so right and the vibe behind it, it really isn't. Babies are so. the most amazing detectors of this. Oh, yeah. Right? Of you course. know, so a, a, a child or, you know, any child, but especially babies, because they haven't created definitions. Nope. They haven't put different thoughts, sounds, ideas, words into boxes yet. Yep. All they have is tonality. Mm-hmm. All they have is body language. All they have is the whole olfactory thing, the smell. Absolutely. You know, so when someone comes in, that's they're just sensual beings. Yep. They're not intellectual prefrontal nope. cortex nonsense exactly. yet. Yep. You know, and so that is, uh, and that's an interesting thing to be able to come back. I think it's like the Bodhisattva. He goes, kind of reaches enlightenment, and then comes back yep. to kind of you know, as opposed to just disappearing into white light. Nope. It's like no, I want to go and you know maybe share some of this. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a, a baby by itself is just the white light, right? Then you go and you collect the shit and then you unpack the shit, right. get closer back to that white light. And now you're a ninja. <laughs> and you can, yeah, and you can become back to what we we're saying toward the beginning. You can become that person who has an influence on, on others. Yeah. That way, who does. And it's so key to remember that because so many times I realize I do that a lot where in the name of being right quote unquote or at least I'm thinking I'm being right in a situation I'm correct but I'm sinking to this petty level of arguing back and forth with somebody where it's like am I helping them okay yeah maybe let's say they are completely wrong and I'm completely right let's assume that Am I doing myself a favor? Am I doing them a favor by hammering on the head on the how right my position is and how misguided they are? Right. Not really. Yeah. That's not really the... How about... It's just so hard because you do see... We are so used to sinking to the common denominator there that it's very easy to... Even when you start from a different standpoint to fall into it real quick, Mm. you know? And so to remind yourself, to being like, hey, the goal of this at the end of the day is not to be right. The goal of this is not for me to yell my truth into the other person's ears until they listen. Yeah. The goal of this is to walk away happy and ideally figure out a way for them to have a happier life. Yeah. You know? So let's change tactics here. But so much easier said than done. Because mm-hmm. so often I just finish seeing what I reply to somebody or what I just said, and I just go back and just bang my head against the wall and say, you did it again, you stupid motherfucker. You just fell back into that game of just trying to... Being right in that sense. And again, being right, everybody thinks they're right, right? But let's assume, like for the sake of simplicity, let's not even go into the complexity of when you think you're right and you're not. But let's assume you are right. Even that's an illusion because you are focusing on the wrong thing. 
yeah. you know you're focusing on a mental process rather than an actual result that will make a difference in people's lives mm. so it's um fascinating i recently was reading an article um and it was about kind of like the superpower of empathy mm-hmm. especially with children but with all people but now nowadays um Empathy is something that is so, because we're so inundated with so much information, it's harder to feel into someone Mm -hmm. because that person is so well kind of like starved or they're they're pulled into their phone, you know, and you're pulled into your own phone, you know, I'll just text you or message you or whatever it is. So that ability to connect, it is a muscle, Mm -hmm. just like your intuition of following your gut. Yep. Right, your gut starts to shut down. Maybe there, there's some association of like autoimmune diseases mm-hmm. or some type of gastrointestinal issues around maybe ignoring your gut. Sure, you know, but that's probably a whole different mm-hmm. you know book, right? But the practice of feeling into someone at a young age ends up being somewhat of a superpower, right? Because if you're in a world where most people are in that more like idiocracy yeah. type space. Yeah. No, no, I'm just like totally like shut off and in the computer, but you're kind of empathetic Mm -hmm. and kind of a a listener and a feeler. All of a sudden you're like Superman or Superwoman (laughs) because everyone else has dumbed themselves down. I mean, just what you said, the ability to listen to people makes such a humongous difference for one, because Hardly anybody listens to anybody else. Everybody's just waiting their turn to talk and throw their stuff out there. It's a big dance. That when you actually do take an interest in somebody and say, please go, I'm all ears. Man, people love you for a while because it's like, whoa, you're actually listening to me. You're actually interested. It's, uh, It's something that most of us don't experience as often as one would think we do, Mm. you know? And, and never mind what you can actually learn from listening. So it's uh, it works on multiple levels that way. Yeah. Well, let's make the world a better place. <laughs> let's do it. Let's listen. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of steps that one can take, right? Yeah. It's, uh, but like everything else that you're saying about the body, it's a practice. Yeah, man. And it's sometimes it's tiring to practice. Sometimes it's like you just want to go on automatic pilot and not being constantly aware of uh, your body, of your tone, of how what you say the impact it has on other, on actually listening to somebody. On these are all things that take a minimum degree of effort, mm-hmm. but it's a good effort. It's yeah. an effort that make life better. It's the cutting away of the shit. You know, mm-hmm. Bruce Lee was good about... I mean, everyone that I've heard that I like find value in is in some way said something along the lines of cut away the superfluous bullshit. Yeah. You know, it's about subtraction, not addition. You know, and, and if we can do that, most of us, and this could be really easily a, a structural, like mechanical mm-hmm. analogy in your physical body, right. the more static disconnected patterns that you have mm-hmm. the harder it is to listen because you have a fucking headache yep <laughs> your of knee course. hurts yeah right i can't think about helping you or feeling into you because my knee <laughs> you, know? you know so it, we can cut away some of that super superfluous stuff from our life at a physical level and also I think maybe the physical level, maybe that's too complex. I don't want to do a YouTube video right sure. now. I don't want to wear. 
Well, maybe look around your car. Mm-hmm. You know, is it covered in garbage? Right. Do you have food from three days ago? Like, get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so you can start to take that into your momentary practice and just start. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna clean the car up a little bit. I got too many shoes. Do I need twelve pairs of shoes? No. How many of these do I wear? Three. Cool. Take out nine. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yeah, simplify. Simplify. Yeah. And then all of a sudden that starts to change the way that you perceive yourself. Your brain, body, spirit, whatever, it doesn't give a damn about what your manifestation and what you tell Mm -hmm. yourself. It gives a damn about what it sees. Absolutely. You know, so if all you have is you have a room, you know, or you live in your car, right? Live in a great car. (laughs) organize that stuff absolutely you know burn some sage whatever you gotta do like get that thing nice right and then from there you start to have a bit more of a belief of like man i live in a great car this 1993 corolla right this thing is well put together yeah Yeah. right that starts to open up for okay maybe i'm gonna get a a van you know that's what you control right if you control something that's an inch you know if that's all you got Make it good. Yeah. You know, that's the range on which you can have an impact. Yeah. Maybe you don't control Jack Shane. Maybe you just control your body because that's all you got. That's great. Maybe you don't control your body because you have some major physical stuff. Maybe you can work on your thought. You know, there's, there's somewhere where you have some agency. Yeah. Ideally, you get to expand the range of things in which you have agency. That's better for sure. Yeah. But let's focus on the ones where you do have agency and not the ones where you don't. Yeah. That feeling of disempowerment. I think that that's the thing. And it's, it's a belief system. Again, Mm -hmm. it's a mental illness. You could Mm -hmm. say there's lots of ways that I feel disempowered and it's all just psychological trick bullshit that I've kind of been working on getting myself out of these mazes. Or maybe they are not, maybe they are real. Yeah. Right. But the point is I can complain about all the stuff that's real from here to forever. That's not going to improve things. Where is that I'm not disempowered? Where is that I can focus? Where I can put energy? Where I do have some power? Yeah, that's more important than listing the fifty-two thousand ways in which you are disempowered. Yeah. You know, it's like I may be right. Yeah, these are all true. At the end, and then what? You yeah. know. But something for people to just tinker with is just that feeling. One thing we're talking about the smell stuff. Next time you walk into a room, notice the very first thing that you do. For me, at least, and most people that I talk to, is you take a breath in, mm-hmm. right? You kind of you sense, you pull the room in, and you determine whether that's a room that you really want to mm-hmm. to, to to be in. Of course, you know it's like a evolutionary survival right. thing. Like, oh, is there poison in here? I don't mm-hmm. know, you know. And then just noticing how that room makes you feel at a at a structural level. Absolutely. There's certain rooms that you go in. We we're commenting of, of high ceilings in here is nice because it all of a sudden it opens you up. You start maybe looking up at the ceiling a little bit, you know, so how that affects you, your spine, how that affects it, the, the tonicity of your musculature, you know, so just, just a little food for thought is, is playing with how your environment affects you on a physical level. Just witness it, you know, and as you start to witness that more, all of a sudden, maybe you want to get rid of some of your shoes or maybe you want to like vacuum the rug because every time you walk on that rug, you're like, yeah, I'm like the kind of person that vacuums his rug. I would stand up a little bit straighter because I vacuum my rug. There's a lot of non-rug vacuumers out there. <laughs> I'm gonna hold my head up high, and That's eventually, funny, that affects the way that you walk into the boardroom or the, the sales meeting, or whatever it is, or the relationship. Oh, That's funny, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it's I think it's I think it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank That's you, brother. Cool, my man. Anything you want to throw out there for people to find all your stuff? And um... The easiest point, um, well, jump over and listen to the other side on Align, Align Podcast, mm-hmm. which is A-L-I-G-N as opposed to like uh, A-Line. And, um, but people can start... They go to aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. Um, the first thing you'll see is this five-day movement challenge. And so we're getting into some kind of specific things. I'm like, well, check out a video. Mm-hmm. Uh, we made some... Do you know Do you know Hunter Motts? Brian yeah. Callen? Yeah, and yeah, the, yeah, yeah of, of course. The, the mixed mental arts. So we did paired up... Did you do a up. podcast with them? I did. Oh, nice. Yeah, but we paired up and did this really pretty hilarious... Um, video series, five video series, breaking down five little things that you can do around your home from a movement perspective awesome. to start changing the way that you interact. Is it on the website? The video? Oh yeah. 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 Well, there? so you, so just, yeah, it's, it's, you fill in your stuff, which the stuff is, is your, your name and mm-hmm. email. And then, uh, for the next five days you get one video a day. Sweet. I dig it. So that'd be an easy way to get in there. I'm actually seeing them tomorrow morning to do a podcast with them. Oh, cool. Yeah. Sweet. Are you doing mix MMA? Yeah, yeah, or are yeah, they? Oh, theirs. cool. Yeah. Are you going over to Brian's place? Or yeah. What is your, yeah. Oh, cool. Exactly. So you'll be in the, in the hood. Exactly. Well, cool. I teach at Santa Monica College right after, so he's like two blocks away or something. So cool. that works. Yeah, tell him I said hi. Will do. Well, awesome, man. So you can end uh, your Twitter, your Facebook is all on the website, right? It is, yeah. So Instagram, and that's probably the most active place that I'm at, is uh, Align Podcast. Mm-hmm. So everything's at Align Podcast. Okay, easy enough. Easy to find. Sweet. Thanks, Thanks so man. much, man. Appreciate it. So that's a wrap for another Drunken Taoist episode. If you guys are doing holiday shopping and if you can remember to use our Amazon link, that would be sweet. We have, um, you know, every so often I recommend books. So there's a book list on the danielebolelli.com website if any of that stuff interests you or really anything else that you want to shop on Amazon with. Also, uh, of course, our sponsor, that's Usara on it and Shore Design. If uh, you guys know the drill, uh, links are in the episode notes. They all have great stuff that I love and I use all the time. So if you want to check them out, that would be sweet. Uh, let me give thanks to a few folks who have donated to this episode. So, of course, the way to give thanks is by screwing up reading their names, which is my weird English pronunciation will take its toll yet again. Let the pottering begin. Thank you to Thomas Robinson, Michael Gates, Jonathan Waterloo, Stephen McKee, Aaron McLaughlin, Samuel McNichol, Thomas Carino Bazan, Lisa Robles, and Alabama Bag and Burlap Company. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys. While we are at it, Conan Rashgard that we did with Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood. If you roll Jiu-Jitsu or you know anybody who rolls Jiu-Jitsu and wants to have the most badass rush guard out there, there's a link in the episode notes. And of course, there are also links for the Taoist lecture series that I did, creating about seven hours worth of lectures about Taoism and or my own book, Not Afraid. There's the audiobook version there. Uh, Last but not least, I figure I always forget to mention it, but I shouldn't. 
Curacao chocolate. If you guys are in the market for some fancy chocolate, check them out through our link. And of course, thank you to Daisy House for providing the music. Having said that, hope you guys have awesome holiday and I shall see you on the other side of it. So ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. No, you don't. <laughs> in questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenza di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, yeah? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great, fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. We've been yeah, having a great hour nice. here. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. Dun, dun, dun. We got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're outro. Oh, we're outro. Okay, sorry. So let's so let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent? It just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell can me. Can you about, translate for me, please? I believe the word was tombstone. Yeah, that one exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work. Funky.